And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever episode of the Crescent Sports Report, produced by student media Crescent Magazine. I'm your host, Troy Schrader, here along with my co-host, Cole. Say hello. How's it going? Hello. That wasn't my exact quote, but whatever. I'll, I guess we'll pass. Evan. Hey, hey. Austin. What's up? How's it going? We got all four of us up in the stew right now. Real quick, I do want to plug our uh, social medias. Instagram is Crescent Magazine. Twitter is at C-R-E-S-C-A-N-T-M-A-G-A-Z-I-1, Crescent Magazine 1. And Facebook is at U-E Crescent Magazine. Go ahead and follow the socials. But uh, first episode, yeah. So obviously, this time of the year, it's uh, currently March 15th. Uh, tomorrow's marks the start of the Mar- of March Madness NCAA tournament, like the official bracket play. I mean, there's already been playing games and whatnot, but this is an exciting time for uh, sports. You know, got a lot going on. NFL free agency started yesterday. World Baseball Classic is starting to wrap up. So, you know, there's a lot of content to go out there, but we're gonna kick it off with some World Baseball co- uh, Classic content. Uh, Austin, you been watching a lot of games? Uh, I've honestly been only watching the USA games when they're mm. on, just because they're at a convenient time for me. Most of the yeah. other games are on when class is going on. Or so it's in China. It's at like 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So I've only been able to watch the USA games, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I know that uh, had a few uh, few games that just – or I guess at least one game that didn't go the way we wanted it. Mexico was not fantastic. Randy Rosarena just continues to show up in big-time moments. Uh Made us look silly after Will Smith just absolutely denied his dap up at the plate. And then Randy goes off for two or three extra base hits and we lose. But, I mean, everyone always views the U.S. as like a top, like a, like a mecca for sports. And we're at danger of not even qualifying for like bracket play. Yeah. That's just insane to me. I mean, I know that our roster is not built as good as it could be. Just our pitching staff's kind of weak. I, our lineup is might be one of the best ever made. But it's just one of those, you know, you go and give up a few runs. Like, not every time is your offense going to go out and put up eight, nine runs, and then your pitching staff's also going against other great players, and they're kind of mediocre in terms of Major League Baseball, our professional world. I mean, it's going to be difficult. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys kind of going into this as part of my research, uh, I found out, not really found out, but apparently the U.S., and they're the only team in the World Baseball Classic to do this, they are obeying the parent clubs like Cardinals, mm-hmm. you know, Indian or sorry, Guardians, you know, Brewers, by following their schedule for their pitchers. So if during their training for spring training they're supposed to pitch on this day, the U.S. will pitch them that day. And they, I think there's some rules like they can't pitch back to back days, or they can only hit go so many pitches or so many innings. And the U.S. is the only club, as far as I know, that is following that routine. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought in terms of how it impacts the games, especially because um, I was talking with one of my friends today. You know, if we do make it to the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and we follow this routine, mm-hmm. it's a big game, like you say, 2-1, one-run game in the ninth inning. But you can't use Devin Williams, who's probably one of U.S.'s best relievers, closers mm-hmm. in the game. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw a starter out there for the ninth inning and just lose? Or what? what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean – it definitely sucks, and it's it's kind of already come into play. I know when we played against Mexico, we lost eleven to five. Daniel Bard was uh, he had he'd given up four runs in two thirds of an inning. 
Devin Williams comes in just to get the jam, and the Brewers had a strict rule where if he finishes an inning, he cannot come back out for another. Devin Williams threw one pitch, and he was ineligible to come back. Mark DeRosa could not throw him. He used Ryan Presley's, and which is also another all-star, so I mean, I guess it got away there, but that could come into play. And when it's a lose-and-go-home game, and like you said, this something like this happens where you have to use Devin Williams, and it's then he, he's just ineligible the next day, or the Brewers say, no, he can't throw this day. What do you, what do, you do? Mm-hmm. And then what happens if, say, by chance – None of your players are eligible. Like, you go into the championship game, we have two pitchers available, and one of them gets rocked. What are you going to do? You're just throwing the other one out there, just say, oh, sorry, you're going to have to throw the rest of the game. I mean, I don't know how – we don't have a Shohei Otani. It's not like you can just pull a dude in from right field and be like, hey, come on, just throw Ched for us. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of unreal. I mean, I wish that the U.S. would have gotten some uh, – possibly some better pitchers. But, I mean, it is what it is. I think that we still have a shot to win it. So, especially yeah, This just reminds me of, like – I mean, for me, it's kind of the two biggest international sports, I guess, for America, basketball, baseball. The the teams, that, I guess the NBA, MLB, don't see it as international play is important. Because, like, I mean, you see, like, the Olympics and stuff, and right now, like, all the Olympic qualifying for basketball for the FIBA World Cup, um, we're playing with, like, amateur amateurs. Like, mm-hmm. most of the guys on this team, they weren't even, like, they were maybe college stars. Yeah. Most of them didn't play like G League. A couple of them played overseas, but they're very. I think is it Aaron Aflalo? Is that yeah. the be- like best mm-hmm. player on the team right now? And he's been out of the league for a while. Yeah, like so six years. Yeah, yeah he, he's an old guy. I remember him back. And in even coaching. Yeah. And even when he was in the league, it's not like he was some. No, he was no star. He was like he was the type of dude that go out and give you eighteen a night, no other stats, no recognition. Like he was a he was a shot taker for bad teams. Yeah, and so that's also like I'm seeing because like I'm thinking back. I mean, obviously. The U.S. has still won gold in the Olympics for basketball, but I'm looking at some of the, like, old FIBA teams. And, I mean, we still got some stars, but – and no shade. Rudy Gay is one of my favorite players. But r- why is Rudy Gay on, like, one of our, uh, like, international squads? That's, that's just yeah. not be the case. And so this is kind of that same thing where, I mean, obviously a lot of the American players, I think, may have wanted to play and maybe got told no. Obviously we got some superstars on there as well. But – in terms of that pitching thing where they're following the clubs and not allowing those guys to play when maybe they probably should or making them follow a certain schedule, whereas, again, every other country is letting their best guys go when they want them to go. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of showing that our teams, which I understand the money behind it all and the, you want to have your best players safe and not get hurt or any of that kind of thing, but it just shows that we don't take international sports that seriously as much as we should, at least in the two major sports. Like, you look at soccer – I mean, Olympic softball, I watch a lot of that, like all those kinds of things. All the best players want to play, and they're going to give it their all, whereas mm-hmm. these guys are, and at least in these two sports, obviously football is international. Um, I feel like we probably have a pretty big conflict with that in terms of not wanting to get injured and hurt, but obviously there's not a big pull of overseas people for football, so that's not going to happen anytime soon. But, yeah, that's kind of a – I feel like – if America really wants to maintain themselves as the top sports dogs, we got to start taking these international things seriously. I think part of the reason is for these, I mean, basketball more so than baseball. Baseball, I mean, like, there's a lot of good players from other countries, but, like, basketball, it's the concentration of stars in America is far greater than any other country. Like, you look at some of the best players in the NBA right now, for instance, are foreign, but it's like how many of them come from the same country? You do those Olympics, it's yeah. like, Luca might play for Slovenia or wherever the hell he's from, and he's it's Luca and then a bunch of nobodies. You play at the NBA, you're missing your top. You could be missing the top ten U.S. players, and they're still going to be the best team in the nation. 
And I think that's kind of the reason why some of the MLB players do that because they still think like, oh, well, I can sit out, but we've got this guy and that guy that still makes us the best team. And then they're kind of maybe a little bit of arrogance about it because they're like, why would I waste my time playing in this when I could get ready for a league yeah. that really matters and the competition is far greater. But I digress. Um, you were talking about football and how it's not an international draw. I know that the NFL would like to continue pushing that, but start of the new league year happened yesterday. Free agent deals are coming. Trades are coming. What do you guys – anyone got any uh, deals they like, dislike? Can we talk about this Aaron Rodgers fiasco first? Just yeah, uh, yes, I would love to. Yes. I'm a Jets fan, a Jets fan yeah. so yeah. I would love to talk about it. So as Jets fans, let's talk about it. I mean, I, I don't know much except mm. that he went into a darkness cave. And he basically told the Packers he wants to go to the Jets. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a report on the Pat McAfee show that he told yeah. Pat McAfee yep. that he's going to play for the Jets in 2023. Yeah. Yep. So just wants to. Yeah, he's. I he said that when he went to the darkness retreat, uh, he was 90% set on retiring, which honestly, looking back on it, like at the time, I know that myself and a lot of other Jets fans were probably thinking like, oh, you know what? We're getting Aaron Rodgers for sure. He's going to win us a Super Bowl this year. He's going to come over. And then it's just it keeps getting dragged out. You don't know if he's coming. You don't know if he's coming. People are tweeting that he's that he's like trying to decide still. But like Aaron Rodgers has always said, don't trust a source unless it's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So you just kind of keep waiting and waiting. Like Trey Wingo on Monday said that the deal was done, just waiting to be official, so that everyone gets all up in arms and excited about it. And then two days go by, you hear nothing until Aaron shows up on Pat McAfee's show and just says, "Oh yeah, it's my intention." But now the, the deal that has is supposedly official. And they're just waiting for it to be, is is not done or is, is done, but waiting to be official. Now Aaron Rodgers says the Packers are holding up about compensation, so it's just one of those like, it feels like every time someone says it's going to happen, something else keeps popping up, which does make me worry a little bit. But I'm optimistic that he'll he'll come. As a Jets fan, what do you think you guys will be giving up for him? Um, I've seen several different reports. I used to see like at the very beginning of all this, uh. I saw maybe like a first round pick and maybe like a defensive player. Later on, I saw like a second round pick, a fifth round, and Elijah Moore. Then I started seeing like third round pick, Elijah Moore. And just like I saw a lot of Elijah Moore trades, honestly. But I know that he wants out, but the Jets say they aren't going to trade him. But it felt like it went from really high compensation to low compensation. And now they're going back up to even higher compensation because the Packers view him as getting a Matthew Stafford type haul yeah. so they're wanting at least two first round picks i've seen that they aren't the jets are not going to send their first round pick this year so i mean that could be something i mean it's it's not a bad year to keep a first round pick because you've got a lottery pick you don't have to worry about quarterback if you're getting aaron Rodgers, and a lot of other teams are gonna there's a lot of quarterbacks that are good um i think your offensive weapons are fine after you already signed alan lazard a rod wants to play with obj you already had garrett wilson offensive rookie of the year mm -hmm. Um, I really think that it just comes down to offensive tackle, and mm -hmm. I think that this is a good draft to get one. I don't know. Now that Green has been going on long enough, I don't know what tackles are out there now that you could sign and they give you the value that you would get out of it, like a Peter Skaronsky or Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson. Like I think that those draft picks are going to be your best bet, but if you have to give them up to get Aaron Rodgers, it's what you have to do. Like it, there's, like There should be no holds barred. They're doing absolutely what they have to. So when the Jets say they are not trading Elijah Moore anymore, does that scare you like, oh, snap, we might have to trade a guy like Jermaine Johnson now instead? No. You haven't seen anything like that? 
I don't think that they will trade a young star. It'd be one thing if we traded a young player that just isn't that good. Jermaine Johnson just didn't play a whole lot. He was injured a little bit. We had a good D-line. He was efficient when he played. I don't think that we give someone like that up. I think that they will rather give up the first-round picks than give up those young players, which is what I'm all for. But, I mean, again, if it's if we're able to bring some guys back, I think that they're still waiting on Quinnen, trying to sign an extension. Um, they converted, I want to say, some of John Franklin Myers – uh, some of his, or was it Lawson? One of the two. Some of their salary into uh, signing bonus, so they're gonna bring them back. If we've already got a good D line, I think maybe you can get away with trading him. I would rather not. But if if you're asking about Jermaine Johnson in particular, mm-hmm. I already said my thoughts. But Elijah Moore, in particular, I think that I would personally be okay with it. I mean, he didn't play a whole whole huge role this past year. I know that he was quite frustrated. Zach Wilson wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but we already signed Lazard. They're talking about adding another tight end. Randall Cobb's experienced. I mean, he's not going to be fantastic. Don't get me wrong. No one like fifty-five-year-old Randall Cobb. No one's expecting twelve hundred yards and ten touchdowns. But OBJ is a possibility. I think that you've already got three potential good receivers in your room, and you've got Denzel Mims, who has like the athletic makeup, the skill, he just hasn't really put it all together and we haven't had great QB play. I think that you can get away with trading Elijah Moore. Like I don't think that it's gonna be like a trade and it's gonna come back to bite us in the ass unless he goes ballistic. That's like who who's gonna see that coming? I mean also out on the free agency market you could get a guy like Adam Thielen. Exactly. I don't I know, know how much is I know the Jets have reached out to him. Um I don't see it happening just because the cap space we're already focusing on restructuring that to fit Aaron Rodgers. If we could somehow free up some more and then go and sign, because they already have talked to OBJ. If they sign or if they trade for Rodgers, I think they go for OBJ next. After that, I don't think we have room to really make a big, like, sick, except to sign someone for, like, a minimum. I don't think we have room to just add, you know. With all these signings, where do you project the Jets to be at the end of the season? Do you see them making the playoffs? Do you see them making a deep run? Um, I sure hope they make a deep run. Uh, this past year... I know that I was really optimistic, even though Zach Wilson was out playing with Joe Flacco. I was like, all right, you know, like it's uh, – I was like, you know, it's not fantastic, but like it'll do. And then Zach comes back for winning games. I thought this is a whole new Zach Wilson. And that one game with the Patriots happened, and he didn't take credit for scoring three points and said he didn't let the defense down. And then it just felt like everything went to shit from there. I mean, we had a fantastic defense. Brees Hall getting hurt really sucked as well. Uh, a lot of injuries to the O-line kind of killed our run game. We weren't a, really a pass-first team. But I think this year, honestly, the ceiling is definitely a Super Bowl. I mean, you have to you trade for one of the most talented, best quarterbacks of all time. You run back almost the same offense as last year, plus an extra weapon or two. You run back the exact same defense, which was a top-five defense in the entire league last year. I mean, I really don't see a way that the Jets don't make the playoffs, barring injury or some – insane regression by either the defense or Aaron Rodgers. So you say you don't see, you don't see them not making the playoffs. Do you see them capturing the AFC East seed or do you think they're a wild card team? I would love to see them capture the AFC East, but the AFC East is a fantastic uh division. I mean, you got Josh Allen, probably the second best quarterback in the entire league right now. Second, third best. Cole's flashing me a 3 right now. He doesn't think Josh Allen's up there. But uh I mean, you got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Miami's got an electric offense. They got Tua who turned the uh, turned the page, got way better. 
He's got Tyreek. He's got Jalen Waddle. He's got weapons. But they, with Jalen Ramsey, he's got with, their defense. But with Tua, though, one more head injury, his career's over. There's no doubt about that. Hey, they just signed Mike White, though, right? So he's yeah. coming yeah. back with a vengeance against yeah. you guys. There's a chance, even though that like Tua's career might be over, like coming into this year, because like he had three concussions, like three like really bad concussions just in one year. Most people don't come back from three con- concussions in like a, like entire career. So I think yeah. it's more Buffalo. I think that's your big. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's I think Buffalo overall. Yeah, Buffalo for sure. But I mean, the Patriots—they're still really solid. You got Bill Belichick. You're never out of a playoff hunt. Um, but I think the Dolphins could possibly pose a threat. But yeah, it's really the Bills. So I I really do think that we beat them this past year with Zach Wilson. So I really think that we have an opportunity to beat them and capture the AFC East. But I mean, hey, once you get into the playoffs, anything's uh, anything is possible. So I'm just as long as they clinch the clinch the playoff berth, I'm happy. Yeah, I think that's where you guys probably need to be. Um, obviously, can the AFC is just the AFC is insane. But I don't know. I think you guys with Rodgers, I don't think it's the best choice. I would have personally gone after Lamar. The problem with the Lamar thing is obviously you lose all your money, and then yeah. you also lose the two firsts. Yeah. Whereas with yeah. Rodgers. If you just want to go big or go home, you just you take the trade, you pay in the money, you trade away picks because you don't care because you're not going to get more than three years out of Rodgers at this point. I yeah. Don't yeah. And He's just not going to make it. And the way the coaching staff and the, the front offices talk, they seemed like they're still high on Zach Wilson. They still have a plan to keep him on the team and he be a part of future plans. But if you bring in someone like Lamar, Zach's done, future is done in New York. But I think you bring in Aaron Rodgers, you bring in uh, – Nathaniel Hackett, uh, like he's a great QBs coach. Like he works really well with the quarterbacks and the offense. Um, I think that Aaron can not mentor him because he's focused on playing. I think if he can learn from Aaron, just being on the field with him, being in the locker room, like Zach could potentially be someone that could still get you to win at high level games. I'm not saying he's going to come out here and be a Patrick Mahomes and he's the reason you're winning, but I think he can still get you to possibly where you want to go. Yeah, but do you want Aaron Rodgers, who's kind of a locker room not necessarily a lock, locker room cancer but the mental head case that's Aaron Rodgers yeah. while you already have the locker room cancer that's yeah. Wilson I don't know if you want Wilson learning a lot of Rodgers in terms of headspace maybe a little bit in terms of pass plays but the rest of it I feel like Rodgers is not the guy you want with Wilson I think they're better off I don't know who wants Wilson but somebody would probably take him for something that you guys could use this draft maybe mm-hmm. but Honestly, though, with Aaron Rodgers coming in, like if we get rid of Zach Wilson, his stock is at an all-time low. If you get Aaron Rodgers, you let him sit, people are thinking, oh, he's learning from one of the greatest of all time. He doesn't have to have the stress and the pressure on him to perform as QB1 like he did rookie season in this past year. Maybe his stock rises a little bit, you get a little bit more. Maybe that's their plan to hold all along, just hold on to him an extra year or two, trade him when his stock's a little bit higher. But I don't know. I mean, Zach Wilson had that one misstep, but since then it seems like the Jets players have been not necessarily behind him, but supportive, and it doesn't seem like Zach Wilson's just constantly doing things like that that just put the locker room in turmoil. It was that one misstep that just really just snowballed a lot of things, and just he kind of became uh, stuck in his own head. So I know a lot of the decisions he second-guessed himself. I think another thing you have to keep in mind, especially with Zach Wilson, is that, yeah, you're saying that Aaron Rodgers can be a mentor to Zach Wilson, and if he makes Zach Wilson better, great. But as a team, I don't think you're going to want to risk that by trading for Zach Wilson next year because you absolutely need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And then it just falls flat, and he didn't really develop into who you thought he was. So I think as the Jets, you're probably going to have to use Zach Wilson maybe next year, maybe in two years, mm-hmm. to see if he had actually developed from having Aaron Rodgers as a quote-unquote mentor yeah. 
mm-hmm. and see if he's actually gotten better. Because if he's not, then obviously no team's going to want him and the Jets are stuck with him. And I don't think any team is going to want to risk that just because he was behind Aaron Rodgers for a season. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're going to have to judge that off of, like, off-season workouts, preseason, stuff like that, like all the games in there. But, I mean, honestly, like, no teams are right now, like, just banging down the Jets' door. We want Zach Wilson to trade him to us. What's it going to take? But say he sits, he looks good in training camps, like uh, like OTAs, and then the preseason he plays well. And then a year from now, you got someone like the Commanders that just love to have three mediocre quarterbacks and just like carousel through them. It just seems like they've always got someone that's like, oh, well, we'll take a flyer on Carson Wentz and we'll try to run it back with Sam Darnold and all this stuff. Like it's just they keep running quarterbacks out there that you don't think are going to win, but the Commanders seem confident in it. So I mean. As long as there's one team delusional enough to just be like, you know what, we'll throw you a, a few draft picks or a player, I think the Jets are like, please, we'll take it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I I could sit and talk about the Jets for a very long time, but there are a lot of other moves being made. One in particular I do not like with the quarterback market, Jimmy G to the Raiders. I'm not a fan. Why not? Um, I think that the Raiders, they, they got rid of Derek Carr. They're already overhauling their offense. I mean, I don't know if Devontae Adams stays or not. They already traded Darren Waller. Uh, they cut, like I said, they cut Derek Carr. But then you go and sign Jimmy G to three years for $25 million a year, and he's just like a Jimmy, he's a Derek Carr clone. And you already have a high draft pick if you're the Raiders. You can possibly package a little something, trade up. I mean, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, they're probably not there at seven realistically. So, I mean, I get it a little bit where you're like, oh, just in case. But if you were so worried about a quarterback, why are you not trying to trade up? But it feels like they're just like, oh, let's just pay a lot of money for a QB. That's So we're not going to be absolutely terrible. Like at that point, just embrace the suck, tank one more year. You can draft Caleb Williams or something like that. I don't know why they're like, oh, it's so content on trying to get six wins. And off that point, too, they traded away Darren Waller. So what is their goal? If you're going to sign Jimmy G, why aren't you keeping Darren Waller for Jimmy G to have those weapons? Exactly. exactly. That, that's what I don't like. They, the Raiders are going to Raider, and they always do things. And I'm just like, what are you doing? They draft people that are head cases at the time, and people are like, this guy's not going to be any good. Two years later, he's a DUI. They cut him. And yeah. it's, it feels like every year people are telling the, telling the Raiders, don't do this. They still do it, and then it sucks. In their last, I think, five drafts, they have not kept a single one of their first-round picks except for Josh Jacobs. He's the only pick that he has that they have kept, and they've had like seven first-round picks, which is unreal. And I maybe they're scared now that they're like, you know, maybe our drafting strategy sucks so bad that we don't want to take a quarterback. We're just gonna roll with Jimmy G, hope that we can draft elsewhere or sign like a few uh, stop gaps and maybe do a little bit better than people expect. But I I really just don't know where they're going with the signing. What is the breaking point for the Raiders this year? I mean, you're you are signing Jimmy G, so. I mean, you're not going to contend in the AFC West. No, absolutely. No, there's no absolutely way. Absolutely not. So, I mean, you know, I know I think a lot of people expected the Chiefs to fall off and then they won the Super Bowl last mm-hmm, year. Yep. I just, what are you going to expect from the Raiders and what's going to be the breaking point for Josh Jacobs or Devontae Adams? We're like, we just want out. We're done. Yeah. I think literally the breaking point is going to be Jimmy G's foot because it's going to, he's going to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. And then they're, I don't know what their plan is at all. With Who's that. their backup? It was Jared Stidham, but it he just signed away, so they don't yeah, have one on the roster. They'll have to him. sign someone, or they'll have to possibly take like a late round flyer on like a Max Duggan, Dorian Thompson, Robinson. Uh, Where do you think Hendon Hooker will go? How early? 
because there's a chance they might take him possibly. Maybe they're trying to do what Tennessee did, take like a Malik Hooker, like an yeah. absolute, like kind of somebody that's a little off the radar, but kind of an athletic stud just a raw that athlete. could turn into something insane. Yep. So they want Jimmy G for now, maybe as a mentor, yeah. and then maybe they'll take one of those more athletic, yeah. raw talent guys. But mm-hmm. honestly, if you're if that's the case, I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, you can kind of let him sit, see how he develops. Uh, if you get an athletic guy like that, but DTR is dual threat, really fast, explosive, athletic. I mean, I think that you possibly could do that. Um, just kind of see how he develops. But I just really, like you said, the breaking point. If the Raiders, like if Jimmy G gets hurt, like Evan said, it's then at that point I think the Raiders have to embrace the tank. Like at that point, if yes. it's before the trade deadline, you trade Devontae, you trade Josh Jacobs, you get as many draft picks as possible, you maybe look to move Jimmy G in the offseason – and then you just try to draft a quarterback at that point. But I think that if the Raiders get, like, another top eight pick, I think Devontae Adams at this point is like, okay, like, I want out of here. He, he goes to the Raiders to, A, get his money, B, play with his friend Derek Carr, and C, possibly have a good team. Derek Carr has gone after one year. His team is absolutely terrible. I mean, he got his money, but at what cost? Yeah. I'm almost wondering if this is a – you said three deal, right? Three-year deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if they think after three years, Kansas City's dynasty will be over. The Chargers, who knows what's going to go on with them. And then the Broncos, same kind of thing. They're just in yeah. this. So maybe they're just hoping that after three years, maybe they're just paying Jimmy G now so they can at least build a little bit of culture, be somewhat competitive, and hope after yeah. that three-year mark. Kansas City's done. Russell Wilson's still doing dumb stuff in Denver. Yeah. And for some reason, the Chargers couldn't figure out how to utilize Herbert. But yeah. I mean, I think the Chargers are a great team. I don't think Staley's a great coach. I think that if they want to actually contend, they need to get rid of him. I don't I'm yes. I'm not a fan. I Go feel for like it on every fourth down. That's recipe for success. That's why every yeah. team has done that for the past however many years football's been around. I mean, I don't I don't I do like that, but I feel like there's so many times that he mismanages the offense. Like it'll be like I get if it's like fourth and short, go for it. You got a good offense, but it's like you're on your own 25, down a touchdown, four minutes – or not four minutes left, like a whole quarter left. Let me just go for it, fourth and 15. It's like you give this up, you're, they're already in field goal range. Well, Eckler wants out, doesn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. seeking yeah, so a trade right now. So. What are you doing? Yeah. No, they didn't release him. They're oh. seeking a trade. But yeah. the Cowboys did release yeah. Zeke today. Yeah, they I saw that. that. But yeah. I don't know. But to your point about maybe the AFC West dying off and then in a few years Jimmy G is leading the Raiders to a Super Bowl, I'll be damned if that happens. <laughs> like straight up, like the Raiders would – look like absolute geniuses and that would be a first for my lifetime but i see no way that that happens because jimmy g made the super bowl one time and lost and that was because the 49ers had the best defense in the league no doubt that year and some other weapons around him the raiders have josh jacobs who don't get me wrong is good but i mean running back is just an overvalued position at this point you get a good old line anyone can go out there and average three yards per carry not not anyone but any nfl actual running back that deserves to be on a roster can be serviceable you trade away a tight end who was two years ago a pro bowler. You barely use but, him. But now he's hurt every other game, making however much money he was. That them trading them trading him was a good trade, just they didn't get back what they needed. Yeah. And Devontae Adams, like I don't really see a way that he's still on the team in three years. I think at that point, like they're gonna be bad enough that they're just like, you know what, we trade and get what we want. And even say somehow that he sticks around, uh I don't see a way that he's as good as what he is currently. And Jimmy G does not have that Niners defense. He has the Raiders defense. And, like, yes. let's let's be honest. Like the Raiders, Raiders defense are just not, not good. good. Their roster is not good. 
I don't know how patient both Jacobs and Devontae Adams are going to be, but if they, like, come out the gates just stumbling, like, one in 12 or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. at, w- at what point do they request a trade? Trade? They're just done after this year with the Raiders. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I think, think that – you go ahead. I think if they are under two wins going into the trade deadline, Jacobs and Devontae are, like, locks to ask for a trade. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even Max Crosby. I wouldn't even be surprised if Devontae asked for a trade this offseason still. Like, he played one year. I wouldn't even be surprised if he's like, no, I went out now. Well, it, I don't know if you've seen Devontae's tweet, but it sounds like he's going to at least try Jimmy mm-hmm. G. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's always a possibility that something crazy happens. They go out and win a bunch of games when no one's expecting it, and somehow their roster of like a ragtag team of misfits goes out and wins a bunch of games. But – Personally, I don't see the vision. I, I don't see it at all either. Nothing like being in the best, one of the best divisions in football, having a bad roster, and then being like, you know what, let's sign a quarterback to a lot of money and then make our roster worse while still being in the same division and every other team stays the same. Great thought process, but... Uh, hey, whatever works for them. I guess. I mean, maybe there's a reason I'm not an NFL GM, but... So, on everyone's minds, I mean, games are tipping off relatively soon. They probably already tipped off already for the play-ins today. Um, bracket officially starts tomorrow. Who's everyone? Uh, what's everyone thinking? You got like upset Cinderella uh, runs, sleeper picks. The question I want to know is who's the 15 seed that's winning in the first round? Who do you guys think? I have. I really like these two seeds. UCLA yeah. is UCLA. I mean, yep. they've looked good all season. Obviously, they lost to Arizona, right, in their yeah. tournament. So, I mean, Arizona's another two seed. Exactly. Arizona's phenomenal, and they're way too big. I watched that Princeton game when they beat um, Yale, I think, and they not, they're not going to be able to handle it. Athletically, Arizona's way too big. Texas, I feel like, is probably the best team in that area. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean – I think Houston's terrible, especially Same. if Sasser's got yeah. that groin injury. I think, exactly. groins I think Houston's are so overrated. Hard. Groins are so hard to play with. And I think I use the second best team in that that bracket yeah. part, but and honestly, like I could still even possibly see an IU upset. Like I don't think that it's like guaranteed to happen because there are some upsets, you know, that you're just like, this is a lock. I remember a few years ago when Ohio played Virginia. Jason Preston's on the team is like a thirteen to four. I was like, you know what? This is a lock. I had Ohio in almost all of my ups and all of my brackets upsetting them, and they did. But I, I just don't feel certain about that one. But I think if a two seed were to lose, I've seen a lot of people say that UCLA, UNC Asheville is going to be good, especially yeah. with Jalen Clarkow. Yep. I think UCLA still wins that. Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest chance because Marquette's yeah. the other two seed, and mm-hmm. I think Marquette's really, really good. They're yeah. built for a tournament. At least yeah. they got great guard play. They got mm-hmm. the best coach. So this year was the year that I paid attention to college basketball the most out of mm-hmm. the 21 years I've been alive. I have not heard a single thing about Marquette whatsoever. Yeah, seriously, it feels like they just fly under the radar. So I don't that's because w- at the beginning of the season is when we were hearing all of this stuff about UCLA, UNC, or USC coming to Big Ten. We heard about all the SEC nonsense and how everybody's thinking down the road that there's going to be those like two super conferences between the SEC and Big Ten. So that nobody's paying attention to basketball at the beginning of the year. And if they are, it's because they're paying attention to the Big Ten, SEC. Obviously, ACC has the Blue Bloods and the Big 12. A lot of teams obviously pay attention to the Big 12. Nobody cares about the Big East at all. And at the beginning of the season, because I'm a Purdue fan, so boiler up, let's get it. This is our year, right? Zach Eady. Hopefully he comes back, too, so we can back your bracket, maybe. You're one player who's going to score 40 points in the first round hey, and you know what? squeak out a two-point win. Weirder, stranger things have happened. Well, but a win's a win. Purdue beat Marquette at the beginning of the year, and I watched that game. And I 
I was very surprised we won that because I thought Marquette was going to be a strong test. Obviously, Purdue, no one thought was going to be good at the beginning of the season. I didn't think Purdue yeah. was going to be good at the season. I thought we were going to be middle of Big Ten, maybe maybe make the NIT. But obviously, great surprise there. But that Marquette win, I always knew was a big deal because Marquette, for some reason, they they're just one of those weird teams. Same with Xavier. IU did the same thing and beat Xavier at the beginning of the year. And that was a really big win. Obviously, nobody has their eyes really on the Big East, but anytime you beat a Big East team, they're always in the tournament. They always play well, like Seton Hall, exactly. St. Louis, like all those kinds of, like, nobody really cares about them. But then they come to the tournament. I mean, I'm, you look back, way back, UConn obviously was amazing for a long time. And then you had those two Butler years where they went to the tournament back-to-back years when nobody thought they were going to be good. So Big East teams, they just they play really solid brand of basketball. And it's different from all the other styles. Like, Big Ten is really physical, mm-hmm. feed your bigs, play solid basketball. SEC is who's got the guy that can jump out of the gym and shoot the most threes. ACC is about stars. Big 12 and Big East, I feel like, are the two areas that really play solid, just a different style of basketball where they still care about their fundamentals, but they also let their guys do what they need to do. And then Shaka Smart, I mean, I've, I've loved him since he was at VCU all those years ago, turning them around, so... I'm honestly surprised that people don't give the respect to the Big East that it deserves. Like, it historically is a great conference, yeah. and it feels like people just, like – Villanova. Like, I didn't yeah, even say them. Exactly, yeah. Villanova. And they've won two championships in the past ten years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they were still a 500 team. Their head coach just retired, so, I mean, they weren't as good as, obviously, years past. But the Big East at almost half their conference make the tournament. They got five teams in it, and their lowest seed is they have a, a two seed, a three seed, a six seed, a four seed, and an 11 seed. Like, you got some damn good teams in that, and people just don't respect them. It's like you said, like, Marquette's a two-seed, and no one talks about them. Just be like, oh, well, it's the Big East. Like, that's – realistically, in basketball, the Big East could probably be a Power 5 conference over, like, the Pac-12. Yeah. Because the Pac-12 always has, like, that one team that's just like, oh, watch out for them this year, and then losing the second round, being a two-seed. Yep. Arizona. Yep, exactly. And then UCLA. Like, UCLA, I thought, actually could have been a really good team. But then they lose Jalen Clark. I, I mean – I could still see him making a run, but it's just when you lose your best defensive player when in a game like stars are so prevalent, like I think that that's something that's going to be very difficult to overcome. And honestly, the Big East was probably better, not even probably, was better than the ACC this year. Oh, yeah. The ACC was so overrated. They had UNC coming in as the one seed. They're not even playing in the NIT. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, they would have been playing in the NIT. They just turned it down. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. In terms of upset, I'm putting it on the record right now. I've got Auburn going pretty far. Um, I think Iowa, their guards are not very physical, so I think Auburn's going to take them down pretty quick. And then I think they're going to take it to Houston. Houston has not looked good very recently, and if Sasser is hurt, mm-hmm. that's that's not even a five seed. So yeah. I mean, I think blowing through those first yeah. two. I think if somehow Houston can make it to the Final Four, it's going to be difficult to beat Houston because it's at Houston. But like, I just there's I don't see a way that Houston makes it that far because every time that you see someone like, when was the last time that a non-Power Five team won the championship? And like, like again, this is going to go back to Villanova with the Big East, UConn with the Big East. But like I said, like they could realistically be in a pack, like power five for basketball over the Pac-12. Like when when has a champion co- champion come from either like a conference that wasn't the ACC, SEC, Big Twelve, Big Ten, or Big East? Like the AAC. Like no disrespect, like they've got some solid teams, but Houston's gonna come in. Everyone's gonna be like, oh, Houston's a one seed. They're gonna be pretty good, and then they get eliminated before the Sweet Sixteen. I'm pretty sure that I was gonna say I'm pretty sure they've been a one seed the last like or one or two seed the last two years, and I don't think they've gotten past the Elite like, Eight. It's like Gonzaga. 
Gonzaga, yeah. Every Gonzaga year, I feel like, especially yeah. when we were growing up yeah. and stuff, I felt like Gonzaga was always yeah. a one seed, and then they never got out of the Sweet 16. Obviously, they had that undefeated season, and then they still lost to Baylor. And they got wiped in that game. Yeah. It's like everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Gonzaga's so good. And then Baylor beats them by, like, 25. Yeah, a lot of people think Gonzaga's going to be really good in this year's tournament because they kind of – I think it was – I forget who it was. Is it Jay Billis or Dick Vitale? Somebody said they had Gonzaga going pretty far because they're kind of under the radar this year. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. Like, I'm, I mean, they do – the West is pretty weak down that bottom part, like – UCLA and I feel like Northwestern are the two best teams other than Gonzaga in the bottom half of the West. And at the top, nobody's really good there. UConn yeah. maybe, but St. Mary's yeah. is not going to do much, I don't think. And then Me Kansas. neither. I mean, obviously I think Kansas is coming Final Four out of that area. but yeah. Just real quick, going back to what Troy asked. Uh, I don't know if they were, in, they were in the Mountain West in 1990, but the last non-Power 5 team to win was in 1990, and it was UNLV. Okay, that's... That's uh that might have been I if I would have thought about it I might have come up with that but like I I knew they won championship I thought that there might have been one closer but like 1990 that's not one of those five Greg conferences Anthony I named. UNLV is that that team? Yeah, yeah, they beat Duke. Yeah. Oh, right, and then. Evan, you said you like Auburn. I'm not gonna lie. I've made six, seven brackets. I plan on making good five, six more before the uh, the tournament actually kicks off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have Auburn making it past the second round in any really? of them. Like I'm. I watched them play West Virginia because I'm a big West Virginia fan, and I really wasn't impressed. It was a one-point game, but that was with us trying our hard – or a three-point game, excuse me. And it was us trying our hardest to give it away at the end when we had a big lead all game. Since January 25th, they are 5-9. and nine, And some of these games, they are getting absolutely drilled. Like, they played Vanderbilt, lost to Vanderbilt. Played Kentucky, lost by 32. They played, a, they played some – obviously, some good teams. Like, you know, you play Texas A&M, who's – in the tournament, you play Tennessee, who at the time was a two seed. They're a, or they're the number two team in the nation at the time, four seed now. Play Alabama twice in that span. So like, there are some good teams, but like at the same time, they're just getting wiped. Yeah. So my own, the, the reason I like Auburn is two things. One, their point guard, I forget his name. That mm-hmm. guy is it Wendell Green? Maybe jacks up threes galore. Like the guy just loves shooting the ball. Again, Purdue fan, I feel like he could have himself a Carson Edwards tournament where he's just the only reason they win because he just cannot miss. That happens in a lot of tournaments. And the other reason, I think Bruce Pearl is an insane coach, mm-hmm. and he gets his guys fired up and ready to play. Especially first-round game, you got a Big Ten game. Big Ten teams struggle because they just that's true. They're very complacent fundamental teams. They don't get that energy, that spark. That's why they struggle a lot. So I feel like he's going to be able to fire them up. And then again, I don't think Houston's any good. So I think I've got them yeah. easily getting past those two. After that, uh, it's either going to – I think it's – a lot of people have Drake or Kent State being upsets there. I got to I got to root for Miami. My neighbor Nigel Pack is on that team, so I got to I got to root for them. Isaiah Wong's good, and if their big man isn't hurt, that guy that got hurt against Duke at the beginning of that game, if he's back, he's gonna be a problem. Yeah. That, that'll be a good game. That'll be a game that I want to watch. I Miami and Drake, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Drake actually like does have a pretty decent chance. And like honestly, whether it's Indiana or Kent State, I think that Drake realistically could make a Sweet Sixteen run. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they make it past. I mean, honestly, like maybe even Elite Eight because you get past the Sweet 16. Like I, I, we were talking about the Houston game like I, and then Iowa-Auburn. I think whether like, – I don't have Auburn winning in many of my brackets, but I think whether Iowa or Auburn wins that game, it, they are moving on to the Sweet 16. Like yeah. I don't see Houston yeah. making mm-hmm. it past around 32. But then after that, you know, you got Drake. It's like anything can happen. Like you got a 12 seed against an 8 or a 9. I mean – The 12s are scary this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard a lot yeah, of people yeah. talking about Charleston and San Diego State. I mean, 
I don't think they're that insane. So there's a good chance Charleston could get mm-hmm. there. And Virginia has not looked good. There's a chance Furman could beat them. And then you look Oral Roberts. I mean, they've got Admus, right? And then yeah, they yeah, yeah, Admus, he's yeah. crazy. Well, and then they've even got they've got the, you talk about size on their team that you might be like, oh, they might be undersized. They have a center who's seven five and nails threes at like a thirty five percent clip. Yeah, like you, they potentially run into Purdue in what the in the Sweet Sixteen. And even then, like you think, like oh, who's going to match up with Edie? Like, don't get me wrong, this guy's not huge. He's not built like Edie, but like you still got the potential, like yeah. size to guard you him. You can't just do the little baby hook over him. He's going exactly. to have to play some muscle there. Yeah, that guy's blocked over a hundred shots this year. Yeah. So he averages and like three a game. The last twelve's VCU. Yep. St. Mary's. I mean, they have a lot of tournament success. I feel like, but again, that's St. Mary's. That's not a yeah. power team. So they're in the same conference as Gonzaga, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't feel like they're coming in as, like, a great team. I feel like VCU can very easily just, like, knock them out first round. Yeah, and, I mean, VCU, they uh, they cause a lot of turnovers. They, are, like, really pester you with the ball. But St. Mary's plays really, really slow. Like, I'm talking bottom five in the nation in tempo. Yeah. I mean, they t- VCU, like, they cause a lot of turnovers. They turn the ball over a lot, too. So it's, like, really volatile. I mean, like, some teams that can get streaky. But I think if you can speed up St. Mary's, you can just get in the passing lanes, you can hound the ball handlers. I think they genuinely do have uh, a chance to at least make it out of the first round because whenever you see a big change in tempo, that's just what throws a lot of people off. Like I know that there are a lot of teams that play like really, really slow and then just slow it up against the teams that run fast, and that's how you end up seeing a seeing a, an upset. Like I, same thing with Kansas State. Kansas State runs is one of the fastest tempo teams in the tournament. And Montana State is one of the slowest. I mean, don't get me wrong, Kansas State's great both sides of the ball. They're like top 50 in adjusted efficiency for offense and defense. And they're one of the top teams, the Kempon. They've got like two players that are third team All Americans. Insane. Yeah. All season. But they turn the ball over like it's going out of style. Like it's unreal. They can't hold on to the ball. And then Montana State forces a lot of turnovers and they play really slow. So it's like you're not speeding people up fast break. Like you turn the ball over and then we're going to just. We're going to work the ball around. Like, it's there's not a lot of possessions there. So, I mean, Montana State has got absolutely drilled uh, their last three games against tournament competition. They lost all of them by at least 25 points, I believe. So, I mean, that's not that's not positive. But I do genuinely think that Montana State, if they hit some shots, cause a few turnovers, slow the game down a little bit, like, Kansas State could be in trouble. I hope not. I want to see Kansas State, Kentucky. Yeah, I, I yeah. genuinely like, – I have some brackets where, like, I have Kansas State winning one of them. Like, I think they yeah. genuinely do have yeah. a chance to make a run, but, like, I think that Montana State possibly has, like, could have their number, yeah. just has, like, their kryptonite. One night, mm-hmm. one game, doesn't matter who's – Anything could happen. Kind of like last year, like, barely anyone's got St. Peter's, and then Kentucky's, like, favorite two seed to win the tournament, yeah. lose first round, you know? And then St. Peter's goes Anything on, could happen. lead eight run. Yeah. Could Providence beat Kentucky in the first round? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I don't know what Kentucky's problem is. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I got a friend who's a pretty good, big Kentucky fan. I talked to him, and they kept saying that, like, Calipari was calling out plays, and the players intentionally were not running them, so that's obviously a problem. But it's it's so weird that they, like, I feel like it's Calipari's fault more than anything. Because yeah. yeah. they have so much talent, and you brought back Sheebway, mm-hmm. and you just can't figure it out. I'm... I'm wondering if maybe this team will be more of a tournament-built team and less of a regular season-built team, yep. the inverse of last year, because Shibway is just going to do his thing, but they at least have some other guys that are more scorers, mm-hmm. mainly Jacob Toppin, who I don't mm-hmm. actually think is very good, but he could have a game where he just goes off. But, again, Providence is a solid team. 
I know that Kentucky in the past has always had problems with adjusting their game plan, especially mm -hmm. with St. Peter's last year. It's like they tried something, St. Peter's was ready for it, didn't work, instead of being like, you know what, this didn't work, let's try to pivot and focus on something else. Calipari's like, nope, we're going to play to our strengths, keep hammering this, but St. Peter's just ready for it, and it's just Kentucky stood no chance. I mean, I think he might be open to it now that he's been getting criticized like year in, year out, mm -hmm. but – I don't know. I mean, Kentucky is one of the best rebounding teams in the league, and it might be like, oh, we're going to get so many offensive boards. Like, we get a lot of second-chance points as it is. But Providence is just as good. They're, so, they're also a top team in, in rebounding. And Kentucky has a tendency to go, like, absolutely ice cold from three. Like, I'm talking, like, one of 18-type numbers they'll go out there put up as a team. If Providence can just grab rebounds, and then they shoot really well from the line, too. So they grab rebounds and then get to the line. Like, you get possibly Sheway in foul trouble, like – that's a big deal. And that's one of Kentucky's biggest problems is stay, like they are in foul trouble consistently every game. Mm -hmm. So constantly got guys like I think Providence like you attack the glass uh, on you attack the glass, you attack the rim whenever you're on offense, like you draw fouls, go to the line, you know you can make them. I, I think that Providence does have a very 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 realistic chance. Yeah, I'm looking at their notable games. Providence they so they beat UConn, then yeah. lost twice, but they did beat UConn. They beat Marquette yep. and lost Marquette. They split it with Creighton. Mm -hmm. And their loot, their other losses. Says they lost to Xavier twice, TCU by thirteen, Miami only by ten. Those are pretty. Those are those aren't bad losses. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. Those are other. Those, sound, those sound like pretty good games. It'd be one thing if you're Kentucky. losing by ten to like someone that's absolutely terrible. You're playing Rutgers. I mean, Ru Rutgers isn't terrible. They're just the first team that came up my head. They're not even yeah. in the tournament, which they got snubbed by the way. But you're losing to a team that's like TCU's a six seed, Miami's a five seed, Xavier's a three seed. Like all your losses are coming yeah. to like high seeds. Yeah. I'm looking at UK, and, man, lost by 10 to UCLA, 16 to Gonzaga. They did beat Tennessee twice, mm -hmm. but they lost to Alabama by 26. A lot of good wins, they a lot of They kept it close, only nine to Kansas, beat Texas A&M by nine, split it with Arkansas, but lost to Michigan State by nine. That was a bad loss. But then they yeah. beat Auburn by 32. Yeah, so like beating Auburn by 32. So inconsistent. Yeah, exactly. It's just – it really – it's – Depending on the night, there's two different Kentucky teams. Like, mm -hmm. they, like you said, you beat Tennessee twice. Those are both great wins. You beat them both times out. Like that's a difficult thing to do against a four seed. It's got to be matchups, right? Yeah, and then against Auburn, you beat them by 32. They're still a tournament team. It's like a lot, like you said, just a lot of teams yeah. are like, wow, can't believe they beat them by that much. And a lot of teams they should win or should, uh, yeah, should beat them, and then they just lose. What's the line of success for Kentucky? I feel like you have to make the Sweet 16 for people to be somewhat happy. And it's tough because they have a tough draw. They play Providence, and then they're most likely going to play Kansas State. Like, that is tough. But, like you said, like, people aren't happy with Calabari right now. You you think, you know, if if maybe if it's a close game against Providence and they lose, okay, you know, Providence is a great team like you guys have mentioned. Yeah. However, if they get blown out by Providence, like, by 20, like, do people want Calipari fired? Or I, I could I've see, seen people, I could see that happening. I I've seen, seen people Calipari that kind of want him gone already. Like they're just mm, kind of yeah. fed up. Like, what are you doing? Like you recruit well, but then you coach like shit. Yep. So, I mean, I think that I actually have seen a few reports that now that Texas's job is open because they fired Chris Beard, I if I'm if I'm then I'm just signing your interim head coach. They're like, hiring that guy. He's, he's too been good. fantastic. Yeah. But the there have been reports. There have been reports that. John Calipari and Texas have mutual interest. So, I mean, if you're going to jump ship, why not go to a team that's already, num like, in possibly the best basketball conference in the world, going to go – or in the world, in the nation. You go over to, like, another uh, – they're jumping ship to the SEC. But, like, you go to another fantastic program, which I hate saying because I hate Texas so much. But 
but think about the consequences. Like, how many – you said the players love the new in, uh, new interim coach. How many people are going to jump ship because Calipari's coming over? Like, you say they have a good program, sure, and, yeah, Calipari, Calipari is good at recruiting. Yeah, but you have that established program at Texas. If players jump ship, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, Texas has got some players that I believe are done after this year, so it's there's going to have a little bit of roster turnover naturally. But, I mean, Kentucky's already got, like, I think a pretty solid recruiting class. you got players that are expecting Coach Cal to be there. And this late, like, say after the tournament's done, he's just like, you know what, I'm going to Texas. Like, at this late, can these players, get, like, actually be like, you know what, I'm just going to go over to, to Texas. Like, let me just get out of my, my sign and the, my signing and leave. Like, I'm looking at Texas's um, rotation right now. They got Serge Jabari Rice, uh, Dylan DeSue, Brock Cunningham, Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop, Timmy Allen, they all of them get very serious rotational minutes, and all of them are seniors. The only players on their team that are not seniors that actually get in are Dylan DeSue and Tyrese Hunter, off the top of my head. Like they they have maybe two players returning that get real rotational minutes for them. Uh, so that's definitely gonna be a problem. Arterio Morris gets into so I mean that's another one, but I mean jumping ship could be a problem, but there's already gonna be a lot of players gone anyway. So. Just one last question that I wanted to bring up. What team do you think got snubbed by the selection committee? Like, they're in the tournament, but, like, you don't agree with their seed. You don't agree with, like, who they're playing. Texas a m Yes. That's, yep. that's the team Absolutely. that comes to mind. I will I'll also agree. Obviously, just they didn't get in. Rutgers was a snub, but they just lost their first game yeah. as the top seed at home. Like, that was pathetic. So, I mean, the selection committee has kind of got to have a happy smile for that one. Um, but, yeah, Texas A&M, I think they're really good. That was tough. Yeah, I know. And it's and Kentucky's just had – like, they lost first round of the SEC ch- uh, tournament. And like you said, good wins, really bad losses. And Texas A&M's been playing really, really well. It's like, how do you give Kentucky, after how they've been playing the past month, how do you give them a six seed and then Texas A&M a seven seed? And even then, you give them probably the best, like, hottest ten seed in the tournament in Penn State. Like, genuinely, I yes. think Penn State has – Final Four potential, yeah. and you're going to go ahead and you're going to be like, you know what, Texas a we're going to give you a lower season than what you deserve, and then we're going to give you the hardest matchup for yeah. that. Time. I would have flipped yeah. Utah State with Penn State on sides of the bracket because then you get Penn State-Missouri, mm-hmm. which I feel like both of those teams were like bubble-ish teams, yeah. mm-hmm. but then the winner plays Arizona, and I think Penn State has a much better chance of matching up with Arizona compared to Utah State, yeah. and then you kind of gift Texas A&M a game against Utah. I still think Utah State's not bad. But Texas A&M expected to win that one, and then they get to go up against Texas in a massive rivalry game, and that would just be great. Whereas there's a very, very good chance Penn State's taking out A&M. Yeah, not only that Texas A&M got a lower seed than they should have, they if they get out of the Penn State matchup, which could not happen, they run immediately into Texas, and we all know yeah. how that can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Texas A&M's kind of just like the little brothers. Like there's some years that they get better, like they are better, but historically it's just Texas just yeah. trounces them. Yeah, and honestly, I think. You were talking about Mizzou. I think Mizzou genuinely could be a pretty good team. So against. I'm just I'm a Missouri fan. Mm-hmm. I'm scared against Utah State. I just I've am. Heard a lot of people saying Utah State might yeah. be, might be I, something. I've Utah State is favored in the game technically. Yeah. yeah. And I think and honestly I think Mizzou kind of got like slided a little bit with their yeah. seed. Like I know a lot of fans that were unhappy with being a seven. I mean I don't know maybe you move them up to a six. Yeah. But I mean I don't mind a seven for them. But I think they're actually like. Pretty pretty good for a seven seed, like good value. I would see. Say. It's tough though because yeah. I'm looking at the sixes. I think Kentucky does deserve the six. 
TCU, I think, deserves to see. Yeah, Creighton was pretty good. Creighton deserves to see. Yeah. Iowa State, maybe not. Iowa but State, yeah. Because of how good yeah. the Big 12 was, you kind of got to mm-hmm. favor them a little bit there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way that West Virginia got a nine, and they yeah. won not even 20 games. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you're looking at Mizzou, I mean, they lost to Arkansas. They beat Kentucky twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, lost to Texas A&M. Uh, they beat Tennessee um, in the regular season in a nail-biter, and then they beat them in the tournament. Uh, see, they, yeah, they lost, lost to Kansas by 28. Yeah, that was not a good game to watch. I was not happy about that. <laughs> they lost to Texas A&M twice. Yeah, so, I mean, I think a 7 seed is right just with how the season has gone. I just think they got screwed. I don't want to say screwed because it'll be a good matchup. I'm looking forward to it. I just – Utah State could definitely hand it to us. And yeah. But I think you might have a better chance if you do get past Utah State of beating Arizona compared to some of those other teams. Obviously, Arizona I think is very, very good, and they have a massive guy. But they've had some weird games this season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't watch as enough Pac-12 as I probably should, but I don't want to stay up that late. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm looking. They lost to Oregon by 19. They split with Utah. They beat Tennessee by five. They beat San Diego State by 17. They beat Creighton by two. But that was, I think, during Creighton's stretch where they were struggling a little bit. Yeah, they lost six in a row. Yeah, so. But I know that one of the biggest – back to Mizzou. I know that one of the biggest um, indicators, I guess, of not maybe upsets but just like runs in general is the, is the turnovers in your games. Like whether, you know, you're turning it over a lot or like you're causing a lot of turnovers. Obviously, you want to force a lot of turnovers, not turn the ball over. I think out of the Power 5 conferences, Mizzou has forced the most amount of opponent turnovers out of every team, and they turn the ball over less than average. I think that that's a problem that, like, no one's going to want to face. Like, if you look at the graph that I've got pulled up, you want to be as top right as possible, and they're not as right as you would like. I mean, there's some teams that turn the ball over less than 270 times, which is unbelievable, but they're forcing so many turnovers, it's like they're almost an outlier in this graph. And that's that's the thing, too. It worked against Alabama in the semifinal of the SEC tournament. Like, we were neck and neck with Alabama the whole game, except we weren't getting any baskets on the other end. We were having empty possessions, and that's what I'm worried about. You can force these turnovers, but if you can't make anything come of it, then, you know, you'll give Utah State a chance to bounce back, and then you just let it get away, and that's how you lose these games. Yeah, yeah. plus Utah, I'm, I'm looking. They have a junior and a senior – they have a junior guard and a senior forward, so having some age is going to help against some of those turnovers, whereas maybe you draw a, a team that's maybe younger, you can get on them a little bit, but at the end of the day, they have Utah State hasn't played anybody. Yeah. So there's a chance they just haven't seen that. If you guys come out maybe like a, an aggressive full-court trapping press and you can get them off their rocks right off the beginning, get up maybe like 10 in the first five minutes, it may just be an absolute blowout from there. but And Mizzou might have gone cold. Like, they couldn't cash in on anything against Alabama. But on the year, they shoot almost a little bit above 36%, like almost 37% from three, which is above average like in the Power Five. Uh, they shoot 76% from the free throw line, above average again. So, I mean, the opportunities are there. It's just – it. I guess it does really come down to, like, teams that are hot, teams that are, like, streaky. But – consistently, Mizzou has been a team that has shown some traits that can be very good. It's just some nights, they just it's just not their night. Yeah. It's just the NCAA tournament is basically our, you know, bane of our existence. I, we I'm haven't. A, I'm a Purdue fan, so hold, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. I, I okay. see what you're saying, but hold on a second. Okay. Hey, hey, <laughs> our last chance to possibly win the tournament, we were a two seed, and we lost to Norfolk State. That was embarrassing. Yeah, we Whatever. lost to North Texas a couple years ago. <laughs> we lost to St. Peter's last year. 
Yeah. I just I'm 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 just worried. That's all. Uh, I mean, and plus we got a very tough uh bracket like on our end, like a tough run. Yeah, there's a lot of really good teams at the South actually. Honestly, I know that like as a West Virginia fan, I'm going to sound biased this, but I genuinely think that we could be pretty solid because when we're we're kind of a streaky team, like I won't I won't lie, Eric Stevenson takes a very large majority of our shots. Like it, I think he takes the tenth most amount of uh, or the tenth highest share of a team's shots, but he's been hot recently. Like I think he's averaged over twenty three and a half over the past like seven games. We've got some good wins. We smoked Oklahoma State. Only lost to Kansas by two at Kansas, and like I don't even know if they have a home loss this year. Beat Iowa State at Iowa State, where they're damn near unbeatable. Beat Kansas State by eight when they were ranked 11 in the nation. And even our other guys, like Emmett Matthews, um, Keaton Johnson, they both really turned it up. I mean, it really, like you said, it's like Evan said earlier, it's uh, it just comes down to one night. And who, mm-hmm. if you're hot, you know, you're hot. Like sometimes it's just not much the team can do about it. And West Virginia is a streaky team, and th- uh, we're hot at the right time. For the record, I have West Virginia in most of my brackets making out of the first round. So, so it's I just they have to run into Alabama, which, you know. The only thing that scares me with West Virginia is what Maryland team shows up. Which, yeah. I mean, that goes the same for you guys as well. But, like, yeah. Maryland has beat, I think they beat Purdue, IU. They beat, like, especially at home. At home, Maryland was insane. And they've kind of just destroyed the Big Ten when they played at home. So if the at-home Maryland team shows up, you guys might be in trouble. But if the road Maryland team shows up, I feel like you guys should have that one fine. I sure hope so. But we're then you get to run into Alabama. So Yeah, which sucks because, like, we're playing close. We're playing in Alabama. So it's like, you know, oh, you, we'll go against Maryland. They got to travel. But then you get in the second round. You got Alabama at a home game, yeah. which sucks. But, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. But as a West Virginia fan, I'm kind of hoping that someone's like, you know what? I am going to press charges on Brandon Miller. He's just out for the game. I mean – like I said, terrible to say, but that would be great for my team possibly winning another game. That's uh, the only way I see it happen. Did you hear that he got uh, armed guards for yeah. the tournament? Security detail? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me think he's going to play. There's no chance that he doesn't. I don't think at this point. I feel like if he wasn't going to play, then the school would have been the people to make that decision yeah. earlier. And since they didn't make that decision earlier, there's no chance that he's getting held out for the tournament. And I'm not going to lie, Alabama's my pick to win it. Um, they remind me of the Kentucky team back when they had Anthony Davis because they have that one dude that's just insane, and then there's a lot of other very solid players around him that don't have to be insane every night because he's insane every night. But then you even look at that last game they just played. Brandon Miller struggled in the first half, and then that other their center guy had a great first half, and then Quinterly had a great first half. And then the second half, Brandon Miller hits like four straight threes, posterizes a guy, and then they blow the team out. So. They they look really good. Realistically, who do you guys think is going to win? I know Evan just said Alabama, but what about you guys? See, I want to say Alabama too, but if I was not, oh man, that's that's tough. Texas, I think Texas. Texas, Texas can do it. Because I'm looking at mine right now, and I honestly would not be surprised if Baylor squeaked, like, went all the way. Baylor struggles in the tournament. Uh, They won another year, but Baylor has lost a lot of first-round bad upsets, and so I want to keep an eye on that. Plus, then they play Creighton, which Creighton is just one of those weird teams that doesn't play like what Baylor plays or has seen before, really, this season. And honestly, like, it – Baylor takes a lot, a lot, a lot of tough shots. They average the most amount of points a game off of shots off of the dribble. I think it's, like, close to 20 points. It's, like, 15 to 20 points, somewhere in that range. And it's, like, 
that's a lot of shots to be just like taking pull-ups or like off the dribble stop and pop you know those are not easy shots by any means and when you've got players like that like you got flagler you got lj crier you got jalen bridges you got Deontay Deontay george. george exactly yeah. i was saving him for last best for last yeah. like they've got the best backcourt and then you've got chama chachua who comes back great defensive yeah. player i mean if those tough shots keep falling, which they've consistently have been doing, yeah. I think they're tough. I think they make a good run. I also could see them just, you know, so when running those shots don't fall, they lose to Iowa State three times yeah. last season. Exactly. Like, they've got some great wins. They beat UCLA, yeah. Gonzaga. They split with Kansas, split with Texas. They got blown out by 26 to Marquette. They lost twice to Kansas State, and Iowa State beat them three times. So they're, they're just another team that it depends on which night. If they yeah. have a great tournament, they're going to mm-hmm. have a great tournament. But one bad night, they could be out. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little risky, but I think, but like you, like going off those points, I think if they can keep hitting those shots, which they, which they have consistently done all year, I could see them definitely like in the big dance. Plus, if Alabama goes down in some weird upset, yeah. you guys are walking into the Final Four yeah. because if they can get out of their little section, you're gonna get Virginia or San Diego State most likely. Just yeah, and neither and of them. Neither of them are too like no, those wow. are some weak five and four seeds. Yeah. And honestly, like Jalen Bridges. I don't think he's fantastic, but I think he might be like an X factor because you know what you're going to get from other players. But Jalen Bridges is so like hot and cold one night, like it's against uh, ISU in the game they lost in the quarterfinals of the Big Twelve Championship. He went ten for eleven from the field, twenty eight points, and then they lost. But then they also lost ISU um, last game of the regular season. He had five points on nine shots, one of nine. They have those good wins against Texas. He's six to ten, puts up seventeen, puts up fourteen against Oklahoma State. Later on in the week, they win. It's just. He plays bad teams and plays really good, and then plays against good teams and like rarely puts up a good game. So uh, I there are some games where he shows out and the team just looks fantastic. I really think that if he's hitting shots, then they're going to be a scary team to beat. Cole, you made a face. Um, this has nothing to do with March Madness, but uh, Miles Sanders is signing with the Carolina Panthers. Are we not going to talk about how the Eagles are going to fall off a cliff? Yep, I'm here for gone. it too. I'm yeah. here for it too. Well, yeah, a Cowboys fan, yeah, yeah and so because they also lost J- Javon Hargrave, who was probably their best D tackle last year. They just lost T.J. Edwards, who was their best linebacker last year, and he went to the Bears. And now they just lost their best defensive back in Darius Slay. So well, it's not like they really lost Darius Slay; they had him and cut him. But still, you know what I'm saying? Because they couldn't work out a, stru- a new contract for yeah. him, which this is what ha- this is why. It's so hard to repeat in the NFL because all your guys, you go really far, and then they all want money, and they don't just run out of money. Even Bradbury, it's like he was great for them last year too. He's probably not going to come back. I mean, they they resigned him already. They did. They already. But the reason people are thinking they are getting rid of Slay is because his contract is bigger than everyone else's. So they'll get rid of him, be able to sign uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson back, and then draft another like young cornerback. I think, like, Devon Witherspoon could get, like, an eighth overall pick and then just basically rebuild what they just had. But their D-line and their front seven is going to be awful with the five guys or however many it was that they probably lost. Uh, I never actually officially gave my pick for the championship, but I'm looking, and it's just one of those, like, I've, I've made so many brackets, and I do not have one repeat winner. I Alabama, they uh, – I, Jay Billis has said they're like Noah's Ark. They have two of everything, and it's they got a star player. They got a bunch of great players around him. I mean, I genuinely do think they have a chance to win the championship. I, I'm going region by region here. I, Arizona. I mean, kind of going back to the going back to the Houston thing. It's one of those where it's like there's not in a conference that traditionally wins. They choke. I just 
they could pull it out, and I get my bias might just be wiped out after that. But like, I just don't really see a way that they make a run. Purdue, I think they have possibly what it takes. I mean, Evan would love to see it happen. I think they're constructed fantastic around Zach Eady. You have a bunch of dudes that are really like versatile, shoot the three well, three and D wings, and you've got a guy that just holds it down in the paint, and then is a fantastic passer while being seven four. Um, that's yeah, huge. I'm scared though. So obviously freshman guards, they played great all season. Lawyer has not hit a shot in probably half of this season, and then, I mean, Caleb Smith or can't whatever his name is, Smith has been great. Um, but freshman guards in a tournament, especially like I'm looking, we might play Memphis, and then there's a chance we play Duke. Those guards are gonna give us fits. We, I mean, our defense is not bad. It's offensively we can't handle pressure. And Memphis and Duke both have extremely athletic. Obviously, we beat Duke at the beginning, but that was not the same Duke team we're playing now. Um, so that scares me early on. And then at the end of the day, if we hit wide open, if we would shoot 40% on wide open threes, nobody would beat us. Mm-hmm. Nobody would, and we hit free throws at the end of the game because we, for some reason, we don't know how to shoot free throws or break a press, but. I'm very, very nervous because we do have what it takes, and that's why it hurts. But yeah, that's I why mean, it's very scary. I'm, I'm looking, and I, I genuinely think that out of the ones and two seeds, at least, I think Alabama, Purdue, UCLA, Texas, and Kansas have what it yeah. takes to win the championship. I don't think UCLA does it because, like I said, I mean, Pac-12 teams are always like really good. They've got like a few like top, top end teams, like three mm-hmm. teams there. They're just really good, and then a bunch, just a big fall off. But then they get into the con- into the tournament and they just fold. Like they do not play well. They're already missing one of their best players. Honestly, Kansas, like we didn't really talk about it much. It's so difficult to repeat. Yes. But you've got potentially national player of the year, Jalen Wilson. He's been insane. You got Grady Dick, who's probably the second best freshman in the nation behind Brandon Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Kansas. I feel like I feel like they can probably make a decent push. But they're whoever their point guard is. I forget his name. Has looked. Horrible recently. That Dewan Harris. Yeah. Yeah. And like at the beginning, like I was watching a lot of Kansas games in the middle of the season, and whenever he scored like ten or more points, they didn't lose. And then in all of their losses, he averaged like two points a game, like five turnovers or something like that. So if he can't play when they play, like I think they'll walk past Arkansas, Illinois. Illinois is never a good tournament team, so they're somehow sneaking out there. And then what do they get? UConn, St. Mary's, probably. I think Iona could beat UConn. I don't know if we talked about that. that I I think it could happen. Like genuinely. Let's just say by numbers. Most likely they're going to get UConn there. Mm-hmm. I feel like they can walk past UConn pretty easily. Out of the bottom of the bracket, I don't see anybody good there. So I feel like Kansas has the best walk into a Final Four. Yeah. But mm-hmm. after that, I don't I don't really like them. I feel like at one point they're going to have a day where they can't shoot. What, who's their best player? Jalen Wilson. Yeah, Jalen Wilson's going to have an off night, and they're not going to figure out how to score. Because Grady Dick mm-hmm. has not looked good recently. No, and both their losses to Texas, he's looked terrible. And they got trounced by Texas. Like, I'm talking 30-point L's. They got absolutely obliterated. And that's the problem. Like, I look at a lot of other, a lot of these other teams, they can get down pretty quick, but they'll always sort of figure out a way to get back into the games. Kansas has had some bad losses. Yeah. If you can't keep it close, if you don't have it at the start, like Alabama didn't have it at the start, but they still were up at the end of that SEC championship game, and then they blew out the second half when they finally figured it out. Kansas, if they don't get going well, then they just kind of fall apart. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a good and bad side to being streaky. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, you know what? Like, we're streaky, so we can we can bring this back. But uh, you're also prone to just giving up runs. But if you're not streaky, 
you're like, oh, we're consistent. Say some other someone else goes up, puts up 15-0 run on you. How do you come back from that if you're just not capable of putting together those types of runs, which Kansas just has not really been this year. So, I mean, how often do you really see someone win a championship winning wire, leading wire to wire in all six of their games? You just don't really see it. I'm looking at how. Obviously, they won the tournament, so that's how they got in. They lost to Kentucky by 32 and by to Yale by 46 points. Who is it? Howard did? Yeah. Oh, wow. I believe in the bike thing, right? I don't. How do you lose to Kentucky by 30? What was it again? 32? I get it if you're like a small school. Like, they're an HBCU, they I believe. So they're not by huge, 46. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. That's not great. A bunch of computer Yale's engineering not good. They're rolling out a calculus class and then spanking them. That's just not great for the ego. I won't lie. Um. But genuinely, looking out of the looking outside of the ones and twos, I'm looking around. I think Baylor maybe for a championship. I think Kansas State does genuinely genuinely have what it takes to win a championship. Duke possibly as a as a five I, possibly. I hate saying that because I'm a UNC fan, but Duke is coming in very hot. I could genuinely see them. And Tennessee is injured right now. They don't yeah. see yeah. Tennessee has not played phenomenal. And then Purdue, again, you can beat Purdue. And then Marquette is going to be the probably the biggest challenge out of that area. Which Yeah, I don't I don't see Tennessee that. making it. Yeah. No. I, I could see Tennessee making like a sweet 16 just because they've got – like I could see Oral Roberts upsetting Duke, but I yeah. could see Duke winning the championship. Like I, that's yeah. I think those are the only two results. I don't think – I think if Duke wins – in first round, they're going to at least the Elite Eight, probably the Final Four, and maybe even the championship. But, that, like, they just need that first win. It's almost – that whole I region almost just hinges on that one game. Like, yeah. if I, I don't think they'll win the first game and then lose the second round and then the – or win the first two rounds and lose the third. I think it's – I think it's first round or Elite Eight, at least, to be completely honest. I think there's around seven or eight teams that, like, could actually win it this year. And just I don't feel more confident in one than the other. I think I'm like, okay, I could see these eight winning it, but I just – it's not like I have one preference over the other. I could – like every time I fill out a bracket or every time I think about it, I think of someone different, and I cannot make up my mind. So I feel like this year is just kind of scary if you're actually trying to win a bracket pool or if you're trying to bet money or you're rooting for someone. It's it's so hard to predict. That's why I'm not even – like I'm making a bunch of brackets. I want to be great, obviously, but – I'm more interested in just watching a bunch of great basketball because, like, all season has just been weird upsets and teams going up and then falling apart. It's been a great up-and-down season. And so I'm more excited to just watch some upsets, watch some teams play close games or blow out games and not really care about my bracket as much this year because you're right. There's so many teams. Like, I'm just going around. Alabama, obviously very good chance. Virginia could, for some reason, just figure out how to be old Virginia and play defense and mm -hmm. shut everybody down. They could be a weird team. Baylor, Arizona, both of them have ha shown spurts. And you got Purdue, Duke. Again, Tennessee could make some weird run even without their point guard. Kentucky, for some reason, who knows, could just go off and no one can figure out how to guard Sheboy and Jacob mm -hmm. Toppin. Kansas State, phenomenal team. Marquette. UCLA could maybe do something weird. Gonzaga could have another great year. Yeah. UConn. I mean, I, I kind of forgot about Gonzaga. So I think that I think they do have a chance. I I think they were. I'll say nine that I think because I kind of didn't like include them in my mental list when I said that. But if you had to pick a team that's seated seven or higher, who do you not like higher as in like seven or like a better seed like seven or or up. Who do you believe has the best chance to make a Final Four run? Texas A&M. I think if they beat Texas, who are they going to lose to? 
if you can beat Texas, you're not going to lose to IU, Miami, or Houston, or whatever other team could come out of the top part of that bracket. I'm thinking Penn State. I'm going Penn State, too. Because Penn State so is just coming whoever in. wins that game. Yeah. yeah, honestly. Penn State's coming Austin. in really hot. I think you just keep an eye on all of the 12 seeds, honestly. Yeah. Yep. Just all the 12, 12 seeds are very good this year. Make a run. Mm-hmm. That's who I want. But if if the benchmark is seven, then it's obviously Texas A&M. Yeah. I just I think they've been set up for you know. I mean, I yeah. can see Northwestern doing something. They have I'm two same. phenomenal guards. Boise State, I don't have any faith nope. in them. Nope. UCLA, I don't have any faith in them. Same. Because they, I mean, Tiger Campbell is their best guard, right? And Boo yeah. Booey is ten times better than he is. Mm-hmm. And then you get out of that, you play probably Gonzaga. That's again, you could beat them. I mean, if Northwestern beat Purdue, they can beat Gonzaga. And then the hardest part of getting out of that part of the bracket is Kansas. But, again, Kansas has one off night, and your guards go nuts for Northwestern. They could make a crazy run. Yeah, I Penn State, this is – I they're so hot. Like, they're they're coming in just blistering. They've been playing so well. Jalen Pickett, 6'4", like 210 pounds, he plays big. Like, he will post up anyone that is smaller than him. He will back them down. He's got good moves, and then you think, like, oh, well, why is he a point guard playing in the post? Like, he can play outside, too. Fantastic passer. They shoot the three so well. Like, yeah. they shoot threes and free throws insanely well. That so it's like white dude just literally throws it, and it just goes in. Yeah. That game against IU at the end where he literally just yanked one from the logo and drilled it. I mean, he reminds me of, like, a Ryan Klein, Stefanovic, shout-out Purdue. But he reminds me of just one of those guys that, like, in the tournament, they just don't think anymore. They just start throwing the ball at the basket. Yeah. And the only reason they lost to Purdue is because we had a seven-foot forward guy that just parked it in the paint the whole game. You're not going to have that against many of these other teams. So he's actually going to have success going into the paint and shooting those little turnarounds and post-ups. The only reason Pickett didn't get anything is because we just left Edie in there and put because they had to play a big man. So then they didn't have a shooter somewhere else, and then Pickett could just – yeah. Ran into Edie whenever he tried to post someone up. Yeah, Penn State shoots almost 39% from three as a team. That is good for about third in the nation. How many do they take? Because like that's the thing. They're shooting 39, which some people are like, well, they're still under 40, but they're probably taking like 10 more than every other team in college basketball on average. I will tell you that in a second if I could get this to load. I'm going to take back my Penn State pick and go Oral Roberts because I think whoever wins that game between Oral Roberts and Duke can easily make an elite eight run. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mac A. Smith is averaging like 22 and a half a game. He's absolutely ridiculous. And he could do to Purdue what that guy from North Texas did the other year. Penn State averages 27 threes a game. There you go. That is good for 13th in the nation. Surprisingly, there are actually a good amount of tournament teams like above them. You've got Charleston. Well, that's because, yeah, Charleston's just one of those. Yeah. Really. Alabama. Oral Roberts and Furman. Okay, so it's all the it's other it's than Alabama. It's all, all like those just yeah, yeah smaller yeah those small that schools that like that's how that's how they win those. Yeah, they're either gonna that's how yeah. they upset Let's teams in the first out. round of the tournament because they just don't miss a shot. It's like the what was that team that beat Virginia the other year? UMBC. Yeah, the Retrievers. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. You just shoot a yeah. crap load of threes and you'll win if you hit them and you'll get destroyed if you don't. Do you think we see another UMBC type? Like, do you think no. is there? There's a one seed at mm. risk. I don't of know anything now. about North Kentucky, but again, I think Houston's weak. I think I would, Houston's yeah, I would say weak. Houston's probably the most vulnerable. 
I know you're probably not worried as a one seed as Purdue, but FDU is blowing out Texas Southern right now. Don't know if you're worried about FDU. No. Texas Southern was terrible. They're like 14 and 20. I don't even know how they even won their conference. Yeah. They just they yeah. they got hot at the right time somehow. Purdue has actually done. Purdue has had problems closing out games and stretching leads against some teams. But at the beginning of the season, when we played the lower seeds and stuff, it was. It's just unfair. I don't know anything about FDU. I'm assuming they don't have anybody over six eleven that can handle Edie. So, I'm not. I'm not too worried about that first round matchup. I think it'll be fine, especially after coming off since Purdue for some reason does not know how to play tournament basketball. The fact that we won the Big Ten tournament was a mat. Like that's more important to me than winning the Big Ten by three games. Yeah. Like winning that tournament, especially with how close some of those games were against Rutgers and Penn State, where we basically let them back into the game, but we can close it out. Those were some big wins that I think talked to Purdue more than they should have. For what it's worth, the tallest guy on FDU is six seven. Okay, so, so, so Purdue will win. Yeah, I, I don't really see them putting up much of a fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. unless they decide they just the baskets like ten feet wide and yeah. they can make every single three they take. I don't, I don't, and I, yeah, I don't know anything about them. If they can press the crap out of us for an entire game so that we just can't get the ball past half court. Maybe they'll have a chance, but I, yeah, no chance there. Yeah, they shoot about 46% um, field goal percentage, 35% three-point percentage, um, 74% free throw percentage. They average 34 rebounds per game. Um, looks like they – that's basically it. <laughs> In terms yep. of the, that's basically all the notable things you'd look at. Yeah. To answer your question, no, <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. I'm really interested in this 11 first four matchup. What was that one? Arizona State and Nevada. Yeah, I think whoever wins that is probably going to be TCU. Really? I do. TCU is missing a starter. Eddie Lampkin just entered the transfer portal. Arizona State, didn't they they beat Arizona on that full court shot or half court shot or whatever. And Nevada sometimes has really good tournaments. So I could see them, either one of those teams, beating TCU, possibly beating Gonzaga. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think Gonzaga's worried about losing that first round. Grand Canyon's not anything too special. One team that I possibly could see is uh, as like a. I mean, I've only looked into a few two fifteens. Like I haven't really like I've kind of gone like in depth with one a little bit more. And the other ones, like you said, like North Kentucky, I don't know a whole lot about either. But I I think that Colgate could possibly possibly beat texas like i'm not saying that there's just like it's like oh i'm giving a 70 30 i'm talking a 90 to 10 like i i see a way that it happens um texas relies on forcing so many turnovers like they turn it over a lot colgate does not turn the ball over and they are about average at forcing them so i mean if you could if texas is just like pestering you and then they're just not phased that's obviously going to be a problem it's not what you're used to and then colgate plays slower than texas i think you slow it up it's just where you see upsets happen, kind of where I talked about Kansas State, Montana State. You slow it up, hit some shots, don't turn it over. I mean, that's, like, obviously ideal game plan, but I feel like that's always what happens. It's just, like, the small seeds just are very fundamental and then just get ahead, and then the, the higher seed team just panics. And Colgate is also the best three-point shooting team in the nation. They are that, but they lost to Auburn by 27. They did indeed. So, yeah. We beat Syracuse by 12, mm-hmm. but I don't think that matters. Syracuse plays a zone, and they shoot threes, so I don't – 
that's yeah, that's yeah. Syracuse just like yeah, go ahead, shoot it on us. So I mean, I that's yeah. probably what Colgate loves. As a as a shooter myself, yeah, zones are the best thing in the world because you just stand there, get your feet set, and launch. Yeah, that's like I I feel like Charleston, San Diego State, Charleston, similar team to Colgate, whereas some of those teams they just yank everything they see, and if they hit them, that's just an unbelievable. Team. Yeah, I San Diego State. I mean, I have looked into them, just not like a ton like extensively but knowing obviously 12s and 12 and 5 seeds i think are 12s are like outright just all i think 500 or better against 5 seeds the last like 5 years and you know obviously every year people talks about oh what's the 12 5 upset going to be this year i think that genuinely charleston has what it takes like mm-hmm. to to do that i just i wouldn't be surprised if all four 12 seeds i wouldn't either win yeah. that would not be year. insane if that happened I'd honestly be more shocked if all five seeds won than all 12 seeds. I would also agree with that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, like, any any iteration of it's, like, you see all four fives, all four twelves, and one and three, three and one, like, whatever. I think whatever you see, I'm not going to be surprised. But it's just one of those, like, it's just so, I, I don't know. It's 12 and five or something completely different. Like, you have no other matchup that's like it. Yeah. yeah. Like, even you look at six and 11 or – um, four and thirteen, like it's just it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. Like it's I I don't get what it is about five and twelve. I think it's always the really really good small schools always get a twelve seed, so it's like they're probably deserving of a higher seed. But because they haven't played a whole lot, the committee's like, oh, just take a twelve. So I think that might be what it is because like the eleven seeds are about where it ends for like at large bids. So yep. you normally see those co- really good conference winners take that twelve. I think that's probably what it is. It's just every year there seems to be just one that just waxes a five. I'm just waiting for the next Florida Gulf Coast team. Same. I want the Lob City team again. That was awesome. That was definitely a good time. But anyone got closing thoughts, players they think that uh, might you might need to watch out for? I'm just ready to sit down and watch 12 hours of nonstop basketball. Oh, same. Yep. Split Absolutely. screen, get the TV on, and then yep. split screen and the, t- the computer. Yep. Hopefully my teachers aren't listening to this, but, like, if I'm not in class tomorrow, it's because I'm sick. <laughs> Definitely. I'm, no, I, uh, that's not a joke. Like, I'm 100% missing at least. Like, I've got a few classes before the weekend. I'm missing uh, before the weekends. I'm at least missing two. Nice. No doubt. Well, before we go, then, I'm going to get in my little golf golf thing. Go right. live. Go four aces. That's my team. Rolling with them. Dustin Johnson. Respect. But West Virginia, going to get my last kind of like shameless West Virginia plug-in. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and Eric Stevenson, watch out for him. Tough shot maker, tough shot taker. He's the type of guy that will walk down the court, pull a three in your face, and grab his nuts. Like It's it's kind of crazy. He's so electric. It's just unreal. But, yeah, I, I just can't wait to watch some basketball. That's – March Madness is here, baby. Yes, yes sir. It it's is. tournament time. Greatest time of the year. Yep. yep. With that being said, uh, we would like to give a shout out to the producers of this podcast, the Crescent Magazine, Student Media. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Instagram, Crescent Magazine. Follow us on Twitter, Crescent Magazine, M A G A Z I 1 at the end, first part Crescent. And then on Facebook, UE Crescent Magazine. Definitely follow the Instagram, you know giving updates, lots of stuff like going on around campus. They will have a lot out there. So make sure you're following, keeping along. Peace.